All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a special Saturday episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I'm Scott Haskin, and I am happy to have you along with me on another audio adventure. That's what I should start calling these. They're not podcasts, they're audio adventures. That sounds way more epic. Anyway, I'm very excited to bring our guests today. This is the first three-person podcast that I've done. And uh, I'm very excited because these guys, I've known Dirk for a few years now, just met Ram uh, when he came on the call. Great guy. But they have started their own company and they're doing some really innovative things with music licensing. So for you filmmakers or you folks out there looking to license some high quality music for your projects, these are the guys that you want to check out. And uh, of course, you know, anything that I've written. I just had to throw that in there. Because, you know, as artists, we always have to sell ourselves. And we're typically not very good at that. So check out my stuff first. If my stuff doesn't work, then go to these guys. No, I'm kidding. These guys are, are really putting out some great stuff. So definitely check them out. Links are going to be in the show notes. And I'm also going to be uh, interweaving some music into the uh, episode. So all the stuff that you hear played, apart from the usual stingers and musical bits, of the podcast are all parts of uh, things that they wrote and sent to me to add to the podcast. So uh, I'm very excited to share them with you. You'll get to hear the quality of the music that they've created and continue to create in their ever-growing music library. And uh, they've already, they're already off to a great start with a heavy amount of content for your projects. Uh, before we get to the guests, I do need to make a correction. I believe that in the uh, intro where I bring them on the show, I said it was going to be episode 67. Uh, due to scheduling and the idea of this going out on YouTube and there being the potential of the episode getting flagged because my channel had not been yet cleared to play their music without their permission, uh, we had to wait for all of that to go through. In the meantime, I had to release my regularly scheduled episode. So that became episode 67. This is episode 68. So your ears are not deceiving you when you hear me say in a minute that it's episode 67. Uh, the, that was the intent. But because we wanted to give the clearance a little bit of time so it didn't get flagged, uh, we I just switched out the order a little bit. Um, the only other thing I want to say really quick before I bring my guests on is that the... Uh, it, it's done. The new album, Haunted Holidays, Deadly Christmas 3, is completed, uploaded to the distributor. It is out of my hands now. It is coming to you October 18th, and it will be available in all the usual places, iTunes, Amazon, Spotify. Uh, I think it's going to be on iHeartRadio. Don't quote me on that. Uh, but also Google Play, uh, you know, all the, the normal places. And uh, you'll be able to hear a uh, a montage of that will be coming out in the next uh, probably about three weeks, uh, both on uh, YouTube and probably uh, my Facebook group. So uh, keep an keep an ear out for that or an eye out for the notification. You can always sign up for my mailing list as well if you go to my website scott at uh, scotthaskin.com. and at the bottom of the main page is the mailing list sign up. I know I'm behind on getting emails out. Uh, I will be doing that shortly. Um, I've been very, very busy with, uh, you know, between finishing up the album and uh, some personal stuff and then another project I'm working on for a friend. So uh, yeah, anyway, that's about enough rambling out of me. Let's bring our guests on. Here are Dirk and Ram.
right, ladies and gentlemen, I am really excited to bring you episode number 67. I have a dear friend of mine and a brand new friend of mine who have just joined forces to form a wonderful company that they're going to tell us all about. Let's welcome Dirk and Ram to the show. How are you guys doing today? We're good. Hey, Thanks so much. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. My pleasure. Why don't you guys tell us a little bit about this brilliant creation of yours? Ram, you start first. No, Dick, you start first. (laughs) Obviously, it's the most Um, polite company on the planet. (laughs) (laughs) You you don't know the behind the scenes. (laughs) Okay, let me start. So so Ram and I, uh, so I'm from Germany originally. I moved to California in April last year. So I'm here for one and a half years now. And I met Ram shortly after I moved here, and we've been working on a few small projects together. Uh, he being a film composer and doing a lot of stuff in, in that regards, and I've been doing production music for pretty much the past 12 years. And over the time, we just became friends, and at some point, I introduced him to an idea that I had already back in Germany, actually, of a of a production dedicated production music catalog uh, that not solely but focuses on music of documentaries and everything that goes with it. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a lot of overlap between the music that works for documentaries and music that works for reality TV and all daytime TV that you see on television every day. So. I just had the idea of docu scores, and it started. It really started with a cheesy documentary with this landscape shot and that drone flight on the side of a mountain going over the ridge, and you have that awe-inspiring view of the valley and a nice orchestral score on the background. Yeah, that's where I said. That's where I said to myself, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and with the rise of of even more content in in that realm, like like uh, BBC Earth and uh, all these new uh great documentaries that are coming out netflix is doing a lot in in the documentary department and even uh crime uh biographies etc there's just so much great content and i feel all this great content deserves great music and that's where we started to to dive deeper into the project and say okay let's join forces and set something up ram that's uh, that's very organic, and I really like that. I like when things come together very naturally. Sometimes when you try to plan things and you make them too precise, especially us who are all very detail-oriented creatives, uh, we can we can overthink things very easily. But this is a very simple idea, but one that if you don't come upon it, it can just pass right by you. Yeah, right. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I'll and I'll chime in quickly just. Uh, pretty much exactly what Dirk said, um, except a few things that I would like to add. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time together over time, and uh, there was a project that I was working on. He sort of helped me a little bit on that. And we became really close friends. In fact, uh, we had a, a, a kind of like a very difficult phase of our uh, friendship, which was like hard for me because Dirk showed me the software that he's using to write music. And I was on the other side of the spectrum. Like for the listeners who don't know, like Dirk was using Cubase and I'm used, I've been using Logic for 15, for 17 years. Ooh. And we, we, after meeting with Dirk and knowing that he was on Cubase, it took me a little time, but eventually it got to a point where I got really tired of using Logic and he actually managed to switch me from 
writing music in Logic to Cubase, which I just, saved him from the dark side. Just, just so, just, just so you know, it's like it's like driving a, a Mercedes for like 17 years and then saying, okay, I'm now going to switch to BMW. Right. It's, it's uh, kind of like a completely different planet and world and whatever. But we became really close friends, and he, you know, Dirk's been really supporting me on that tech elements. Um, but the idea of DocuScore was kind of came about just around there but we you know i had something going on already on you know i'm mostly a film composer pretty much that's my background but i on the side when i was in between projects i started creating these small little albums and i started making connections with like bbc and a few of the shows that they were doing and so so my catalog was starting to grow and derek and i actually started working together on that but in a very small level um but we had a really good understanding of how the music should be. And so the so the idea of the DocuScores, it was kind of like, a, it was like a no-brainer because we worked so well together. And um, as a result of the MSP, which was my company at the time, and, and, and his idea, and I was like, I'm a film composer, you are a, a production music expert composer, and I understand what the filmmakers need and you understand what the production music needs. It's just a complete no-brainer. Right. It's just, comp- you know, so it made a lot of sense for us to kind of, and we, we you know, being friends obviously helped us m- massively. Yeah. Um, and, and sort of having a good understanding of, you know, what's good or what's bad or what comes across neat or what doesn't, you know, and what, what is cheap and what is not cheap. Mm-hmm. So we have a very... A, a, a specific um, a rule about when it comes to music that and and the rule was that when you listen to a piece of music it should give you goosebumps it should make you feel good and it should be played live and that was like the rule number one we said from the get-go we're like we need to do live we need to get real people play the music and not the computers i like that i because you'll you'll sense it i mean just as a listener You'll sense it yeah. in the playing, wh- whether it's just a slight nuance that you don't know why, but you'll feel different when you listen to it for sure. Absolutely, and and exactly was, that what we said. Yeah, yeah, and it was also, I mean, it, on the one side, it was a creative decision and and something that we felt the absolute the absolute urge to do to to go as much life as possible, but also it was a kind of a business decision. I mean, I'm very well aware of the fact when you in 2019 come up with the idea let's do a production music library that you're not the first one with the idea right so the market is absolutely stiff there's a lot of stuff out there but also there's a lot of stuff so a lot of music needed so it's it's not like it's it's completely uh uh unnecessary to write more music but you need to find ways to to kind of differentiate yourself from what's already out there and uh, a lot of production i mean the technology has advanced has advanced to a point that uh you can do a lot in the box you can do convincing orchestra mockups uh, with samples and everything sure. and there there are people who are really really good at that uh I, even i myself consider me pretty decent at at uh, coming up with convincing mockups but it's a whole different world in my opinion, when you hear the fingers and the rosin and uh, the players and just the human element, um, we try to have that as much as possible in the catalog to make the music just 
a tad better than what's out there. And just to give listeners an idea of the difference, when you're using, say, a digital orchestra, and let's just take the violin. So you get your violin sound and you get your bow at the speed that the bow is. And sometimes you can find a sound that has vibrato. Sometimes it has a little bit less or it's just a straight, smooth note. But when you've got five violinists playing together, you can do five patches of violin. But what you're not getting is the different nuances that are layered together from five different human beings playing it and creating a sound in unison that you're not going to get in the box. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And exactly. that's what really brings the emotion out, at least to me. That and also, you know, Scott, it's there is a huge element when it comes to recording live is the, the room, the microphones, mm -hmm. the, the air. The way the sound travels, it's it's it has a a huge impact on and and how a, a a human ear perceived that sound. You know, we really truly believe, having worked in the industry for some time and being always, uh, I'm talking on a personal level, being always limited on from the producers and the filmmakers saying that we love to do live, but we don't have the money for it, so we're gonna have to stick with the box. Right. Having always done that, or at least for the I would say 85% of the time. When you have an orchestra, it's it makes you realize, wow, there is a reason why, you know, people still push for it. And um, I, funny enough, I had a, a friend of mine, a mixer, a re-recorded mixer of mine, that, that ended up mixing the film that I was working on. And I had actually recorded the score for it live with an orchestra. And he turned around to me and said, Actually, having the music as a live orchestra or live musicians made his mixing job easier, oh, which sure. is which was absolutely mind blowing to me because I was like, "How is the live session making you as a sound designer slash mixer easier?" But he just it was explaining to me that the tonality of the live recording and all that kind of stuff made a huge difference for him as a mixer. So, but that was like a a, a big wow factor for me so <laughs> well i can understand that though i mean if i if i think about projects that i've scored and i think about when an actor gives a really good emotional performance i feel like i don't have to work as hard on the music because they're giving me more to to work with and i have to enhance it less as opposed to somebody who's really not delivering and i have to work harder to make the music bring out more emotion i kind of exactly. think it's, it's probably that same principle yeah exactly exactly right, right. That's a hell of a compliment, though, too. Yeah, thank you. No, it's it's and but but Scott, it's like it's the same thing. It's like I always tell the directors. It's like we're um, we're talking about film right now. It's like, are, are we trying to get the music to make people feel what they want to feel, or are we going to allow what's on the screen to make people what they want to feel? Like that's always the number one question. It's like, do you want me to scream with my music to people saying you should here? Let me shake you. You should feel this way here, or do we want to let the actors and their emotion and their reaction and the camera and the angle and the color, which is this, the film, mm -hmm. to speak? Obviously, the music is never separated from it, but it's always that fine balance between how do we how do we do this that is not over the top or it's not too little. So, 
Right. Do you want to hear the score or feel the score? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's a exactly. tough balance because there are times where you really do want the score to drive certain things like, say, an action sequence or maybe, you know, like in, in the first Star Wars movie when Ben Kenobi and Darth Vader are having their fight uh, and then they they flash to Luke and the violins come in and you really want the music to to drive that next part. But most of the yeah. time, I think you really just want it to be almost a subconscious entry as a character. Uh, Unnoticeable character. Yeah. Yeah. It's an unnoticeable. It's the it's the it's the invisible character that you don't see but you feel. Right now, would you say though that a lot of production music, and I'm thinking more at at, at this moment, uh, more tied to, to movie trailers, uh, you really want the music to to be the driving force. The music is what carries it. Derek, I'll I'll let you go first because I have. Yeah. A, a... The, well, the thing is that uh, production music in itself. When I started doing it, and over the the last 12, ten to twelve years, I've learned that what I love most about the whole field of production music is just its diversity. Mm-hmm. So it, it's the, the range is just incredible. From on the one side, what you actually can create, so you can work on a on a Latin salsa track. The next minute, you are on a rock track. Then you go into hip hop. Then you yeah. go into classical orchestration. I love that diversity mm-hmm. of production music because there's just so much different needs for different types of music. Yeah. And uh, with uh, with this catalog, we kind of try to uh, bridge the gap between. Uh, just regular production music and uh, we will never come to the point like like having a dedicated composer for a project mm-hmm. but the amount of of um i can only say it like that the amount of love we put into the cues and that not only relates to the big orchestral cues that we've done in the orchestra recordings it really goes down to the simplest element like like the piano album we've done Mm-hmm. Uh, where where we went to great length to to not go with the samples which sound great and everything but we we recorded even the piano live uh, in in Ram Studio which is it's not a grand uh, grand piano or or anything but it has character right. and this is what in my opinion we were talking about it recently when you try to describe the DocuScore's catalog in one word all I can say is to me it feels absolutely organic. Oh, and I yeah. think this is this is what makes the catalog special, in my opinion. Well, I think that's going to be the biggest sell because you that's something that, again, you know, it goes back to you feel that difference. And, you know, even the way the company came together, how organic that was, if the music itself is organic, if it's not forced, if it doesn't fit well, you know, you have to do this formula for it to be right. Yeah, honestly, when we were working on the acoustic album and we had the lack of along this journey meeting some great talent that uh, was and is willing to to join this venture with us and uh, for example with the guitarists we are working or two guitarists actually for the rock tracks and for the acoustic tracks this is like I remember my old times in my band days you know when you went to the band room and had a rehearsal and one at one point there was just a great rehearsal and you felt good about it and you just had friggin' fun yeah and this is kind of over the years we are used to work in our caves on our own and write score after score and this is like going back to to the venture of doing something together the magic that 
is in the room when you write something together. It's really like a little band when we do these acoustic cues, for example, with the guitars. And, and sometimes it takes less than an hour to come up with a great song idea because three minds sit together and kind of uh, in, inspire each other. So that, mm -hmm. that's just a great feeling. And I think the music reflects that. Well, you know, I, I think I've told this story on the show before, but when I met uh, years ago, it was back in uh, back in the mid 90s when I met Roger Glover, who's the bass player for Deep Purple. And he's done a lot. He produced Nazareth and helped Whitesnake get started and a bunch of other production work. Uh, he said to me, you know, because at the time I was like, you know, I, I miss I, I tried to do the band thing, couldn't really find situations that worked on the long term. Um, and I'm much happier writing on my own because I don't have to deal with all the stress of opinions and dominance. And no, my my part has to be louder than yours. And and he, he looked at me and he said, I don't envy you, though. And it took me a while to understand what he meant. But the more isolated I became, as most of us composers do, like you said, Dirk, mm. you know, working in our caves, I get it. You know, I get that lack of. um camaraderie you know because you, you become a little bit of a family to where you start reading each other's minds a little bit musically and that is definitely something that you don't get on your own yes i totally agree i totally agree and and i just want to quickly scott go back to your question that i believe it was about uh, trailers you just mentioned yeah mm -hmm. about trailers kind of using the music in a more dominant fashion than in a, in a like a film you know, Scott, it's a it's a tough situation when it comes to trailers, and I and I understand why there is a, such a tough circumstances within trailers. Imagine a, a, a head of a studio that has put two hundred million into a picture, and they've they've their their entire studio risk assessment team have gone through. Well, should we make this movie, or should we make ten, twenty million budget movies? Mm -hmm. And the decision was made that okay, well, let's go and make a one two hundred million budget movie and not do the the middle tier movies. So when a decision like that gets made and the movie actually go ahead and is made, and it comes to the marketing campaign, which is usually about a month and a half to two months before the film, um, it's it becomes very stressful for the studios to say it comes down to how we present this now to the tra like the trailers. So when it comes to trailers. It's the last push before the movie gets out, mm -hmm. before the, the reviews come in. So the trailers, it's almost like it's just it's an advertisement. It's right. it's it's basically saying, I'm gonna I'm gonna tease you with this thing and I'm gonna give you so much that you're gonna say at the end of it, I'm I'm definitely gonna wanna see that. And you know, I've been in a situation where I've seen trailers and that actually sadly uh, put some footage or something that was I thought it was going to be in the movie and it actually wasn't and it's just it, mm -hmm. it, and that doesn't happen very much but it, the trailer world is very uh, it's a very stressful world and I believe that it's and the reason for it is because there's too much at stake from yeah the, the, the stakes are extremely high there yeah. Yeah. high yeah. Yeah. so we they have to they have to bang the music so much hard they have to make you like let this wall of sound hit people and wanting to go and see it. So it's about selling the product. Um, the way we look at DocuScores is um, DocuScores is going to be the catalog where a filmmaker can actually use the score to, to score their entire film. Mm -hmm. Like it would be as if you could call your composer DocuScores. Like mm -hmm. we, we don't, we, I don't, I mean, Dirk and I both agree that, you know, we don't want to be 
that trailer sound. We want to be that that natural score that the movie needs. You know, it's a very underscore. But but again, how does that relate to a production music world? Well, it's a music that's available, ready, but but it's high quality recorded live, so you're not cutting back on anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how we kind of said, let's try to be different. Let's not be a trailer music company because that's not what we want to be necessarily. And there's so much of that already out there. Yes. Yeah. It's just not for us. It's musically. It's just not. I mean, Dirk has written so much, and he knows about the production. And he's when I see him writing music that has a thematic melody and stuff. I mean, his face is like shining. He's like, I'm so much happier writing this music, you know. Yeah. So it's just life. Um, when you write music that emotionally touches you, um, you know, it's it's there's nothing that can describe. that's one of the main pillars for me in this whole job that I'm working in. So if what I'm writing doesn't evoke any kind of emotion or it, it needs to touch something, otherwise it's, it's just not worth it to spend time on that. So, so that's one of yeah. the major things. And I think that yeah, just give you, give your listeners a chance to, uh, when willing and just listen to the music. I think it speaks for itself. Yeah, I think that that's a great point. And that really is it, especially if you're a filmmaker and you're trying to choose the music for your film. If you're not feeling it, your audience isn't going to feel it and you know it. So you're just going to bypass that and go to the next thing. Exactly. Yeah, Now that's interesting. So so basically, if I understand this right, the music is already written and then the filmmaker will take that music and put it into their film and build their storyline. The musical side of the storyline. Pretty much, yes. So we try to diversify as much as possible with the content we have for the launch Mm -hmm. uh, that just happened, but we keep growing the catalog, obviously. So it's not done yet. Actually, the work starts now. So we keep on building and doing more albums and based on client relationships that will develop over time. And when we get feedback from clients, we will, of course, adjust the course of new music to come Mm -hmm. based on the wishes and needs of our clients. Right. And I would imagine that if a, if a filmmaker used this library, but they were a couple of tracks short or they needed something that was maybe a variation on what you've already done, you could work that up fairly quickly and then give it to them to add to the film. Yes, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Scott, just so you know, we I think it's worth mentioning that we have done 11 albums in the course of three and a half months. Holy crap. Um yeah, so we've done 11 albums within the short period of time, and we managed to record them live, and we managed to master them and have them ready for the launch. So that's absolutely we, fantastic. Congratulations! Just that's a huge accomplishment. Just on that alone, congratulations. Thank you. And and we thank have you. no intention of sort of slowing down. We have now that's already enough. 
You're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have about uh, about today we actually put down uh, two new albums that uh, we have sort of put forward to our team and and ourselves. So we're working constantly to try to uh, kind of uh, keep it going. Now, here's here's a devil's advocate question and not to put you guys on the spot because I don't mean to do that at all. But this just kind of popped into my head because when I think album, I think, you know, 85 minutes of music or less. But if you're if you know, look at how long a lot of these films are getting right now, where a lot of them are reaching the two to two and a half hours, sometimes three hour mark. How do you guys fit into those longer films? It's it's a tricky question. And I agree. And I, I'm happy to answer it because uh, I so there is a how we're going to fit into the longer films it's a it's a plan that we have which i'm happy to share okay um and derek and i have spoken about it uh we have a a long-term plan to create what's called the docu scores a custom uh tracks or if a movie comes to us and can't find what they need or found something that they need but they need more of um we take the responsibility to provide that based on their needs and requests, which I think Dirk lightly mentioned earlier. So mm-hmm. if a client comes and say, Hey, I've got this 85 minutes feature. I absolutely love grand themes, or I absolutely love something from DS003 reflective thoughts, but I need more of it. Uh, well, the dialogue starts there. Well, how long do you have? Mm-hmm. And can you give us a week? Can you give us two? And or whatever it might be, and we'll provide it. Um, but again, it's the most beautiful about it is that that creative dialogue can sort of that creative direction can at least happen at, from the get go that we know what the filmmaker is kind of looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't have to go ahead and sit in a spotting session or as, as I, as I would do in, as a film composer. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so there is, there is, uh, there is a little bit more like if if you like if it's like a template right you the filmmaker comes and says i love your science fiction album um I, I but i need a lot more of that can you guys deliver to to like i don't know 40 more minutes of this music and and that's when we say press the panic button and let's go <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, the red the red button for the team yeah. yes but that's part of the beauty of what we all do as composers because it's a matter now then the challenge for you guys becomes jumping into that and making more music that's consistent in sound writing style and quality with the music that you've mm. already made with not like, well, six months ago when we wrote that, here's where we were as composers and now we've grown. So now the new music is going to sound like this, like that's, but mm. that's part of the fun of it too, because you get to kind of revisit who you were at the time that you wrote that. Yeah. But, but Scott also don't forget. I, I honestly truly believe that, the collaboration in a room makes the music already so much better. Like, sure. like I'll make you, I'll, I'll make a quick example. When we were writing the music for our DS002 Feel Good Acoustic album, uh, it's a, it's an extremely happy, happy piece of music and very jolly. And uh, also, Amer- Americana. You know, I don't play any of the instruments that are in that album. I don't play the guitar. I don't play the ukulele. I don't play the banjo. I, I'm pretty much useless when it comes to that um, no you're not <laughs> yeah, but but uh, but but mike uh our our friend and and also on the rock album craig um they they're phenomenal guitarists but what 
the funny thing is, it's like when we all sit in my room, in my studio, and, and you know, we suddenly hear a riff and we're like, okay, that works. I really, truly believe that three or four mics sitting in a room actually makes the music more mature already. So as a as a singular person here in my room, if I could, I wanted to write something like I would feel good acoustic. I probably could, but I probably couldn't execute it as well as I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it wouldn't be a, such a good track. Whereas having an instrumentalist here in the room with us who can actually play on the fly and as we as we collaborate, honestly, and you, it makes it makes and it you have so no idea. Yeah, and you have no idea how much fun it is to see Ram when he's sitting next to guitars and say, says to you, can you play da 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 <laughs> Right, and he plays it. That's the cool and thing. And he plays it. it. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it's got, I hear it in my head, or Dirk hears it on his head. I mean, Dirk plays guitar like 10 times better than I do, or whatever. He can pick it up and get, so there is the support there, but it's like, I hear it, and I, we can translate it right in the room. So automatically within that setup, the music has become so much more mature as if I would have picked up a guitar myself and being in 10 years time, I could have done that myself. So right, yeah. it kind of advances everybody. It kind of like allows everybody to actually grow together. And it's the same on the, from the computer point of view. They, they might not necessarily have all the technical stuff that Dirk and I can provide in our studio. So we can do a lot of the technical stuff, a lot of the, recording experience and they are great instrumentals and we know what we don't want them to worry about the tech stuff yeah we handle that when we're in the session so honestly three of us four of us sitting all together makes the music so much better and i've never been in a band i've always been that lonely lonely sad person and, um, <laughs> so, you, will, you will be so sad I, no more yeah, no more. So I, I actually have to now get away from him. Like, Dirk, no, not this week. I, I just want to be alone. <laughs> yeah. I'm tired of being in an enclosed space with you. Just I'm give like, me, give me I'm some like I have, I'm like, I have no space. I just want to be alone. But no, it's good. But I, I, and then, and then a day later, I look at what we recorded. And I'm like, oh crap, let's let's get together again because this yeah. is obviously working. Well, I think that's the thing, like even, you know, especially, you know, being a film composer, you've been stuck on some really tight deadlines over the years, I'm sure. And but when you listen back and you think, you know, I had to physically hold my eye open while I was trying to mix this because I was so tired, but you push through and you get it done. And then when you listen back after a couple of days of being away from it, you realize the beauty of what you did was worth all of that stress, all of the pots of coffee and everything that you had to do to make it happen. Couldn't have said it better. Yeah, and exactly. Put, and putting up with exactly. Dirk. Uh, yeah, no, but, yeah. I, yeah, I will say uh, Dirk is a fine guitar player and a bass player. I've seen you play uh, when you've done some demos for products, which are these marathon sessions where you demonstrate the entire product, all the different sounds. You write a piece of music in it. And uh, I, I really enjoy those. Thanks so much. More is, more is to come. I had to yeah. dial back a little bit due to... Uh, focusing on doggy scores, but uh, it's coming back. It's coming Good. back. Yeah, they're fun. I don't know how you keep up the pace for that long. I couldn't talk that long. Dirk is a YouTube star. <laughs> Dirk is an absolute YouTube star. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Well, this is this is great. I really think that it's uh, it's a very interesting idea, and I could definitely see it being very beneficial uh, for a lot of people, especially people who. Uh, really don't know what they want for their score, it really gives them a place to start because they can listen to different things that you've done, visualize that with their film, with especially because at this point, we've assumed that they've already shot the film or they're they're either in editing or edited. 
And for them to be able to take the visual that they've been looking at and now kind of insert some of this music into it and go, I see my film taking shape with what you guys have created. That's a really good feeling for the for the director. Yeah, that, yeah that's I, one side. And, and oh, sorry, Graham, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Uh, I just want to say it. So it's not only the film side. It also I've seen that uh, on the TV production side as well. And where what really comes in handy, where we really uh, we we said in the beginning before the before we started recording that uh, we don't meditate, we metadate. And that's actually very true and very essential. We realized how much necessity there is for for the platform that we utilize to bring the music to the client with all the options of searchability. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we just met with editors who were still having their catalog on a hard drive, and for each new project, they need to sift through everything where they have to to find out what kind of sound they are looking for. And and we realized that uh, the whole technology behind it to to get the music to them on a on a searchable platform where they just type tension or suspense or happy uplifting whatever uh, these these keywords and our catalog uh, pops up with the corresponding results is uh, something that's really. Um, it's not new, but I I was kind of gobsmacked how many people don't know about that or are not aware of how that can speed up the workflow of editing, in, especially on time-crunched uh, jobs like TV shows and, and reality TV and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, and the, and the hard deadlines that those guys work on sometimes is like, I need something in the next 35 seconds, whatever piece I find that kind of fits is going to go in there because I don't have time. We you know exactly. it, it, They work on some crazy deadlines on TV. Exactly, and and just so for the sake of listeners uh, knowing, is you basically can go to, you know, DocuScore's website and type in exactly what you're looking for, and hopefully that g- genre or this keywords that you put in that actually brings a music result. So mm-hmm. the search time has gone significantly down with the system, so it can really help you cut back on because if you so if you speak to any editor, they will tell you. The majority of their time goes on after they have the Russian. The majority of their time goes on finding the right music. Yeah. Um, and and if they're doing the temp music or whatever, even then, the majority of the time goes through finding the right music and then cutting it and making that work with picture or or the vice versa. They cut the picture to the music. Mm-hmm. Uh, but finding that music initially, uh, it's a very time-consuming thing for people. So we like to we like to kind of tell our users that hey you know utilize these searchability options because it helps you as an overall time yeah it's a tedious process but it's such a it's it's the difference between being successful and just being another thing on a on a website that's with you know eighty thousand other songs if people can't find you it doesn't matter how good the music is
Why do you think, exactly. though, that that the world has kind of switched so much from and I'm not talking about the A-list films because the A-list films, I think, are always going to hire guys like Hans Zimmer or Steve Jablonski or, or, you know, whoever to do their films. But why do you think that so many people now are going to uh, more of a licensing platform than hiring a composer? I think that for the most part, it's just uh, a result of the time that we are living now with all the streaming platforms, Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, etc., and the amount of content that people are consuming. So it's it's just a different era than when you think of back to the times where we are broadcast TV with five channels. I mean, today we are looking at 1,500 channels. Right. And and the streaming platforms at the same time. And then it's not only a U.S. thing, it's a worldwide thing. So sure. uh, if, if you see the fact uh, MTV, for example, which I actually considered long time dead already, but they <laughs> <Yeah>. aren't. <laughs> they are alive and kicking. Really? And uh, they, they just, they just uh, for example, also set up a new documentary department to to put out mm-hmm. content over content in the next years. So, and Netflix, uh, just uh, with the ME season upon us, uh, with all these screenings and showings that they do, they are very well alive and there's so much content produced. And I'm not even talking about private filmmakers and YouTube and all that stuff. And all these guys need music too. So it's not only the AAA or indie film area era. It's... Um, it's just pretty much everything and everyone is screaming and demanding new music. So why not deliver? Right. And, and, and Scott, I just wanted to point something out to you uh, on a, on a, on a studio level films. Yes. You're always going to get the composer hired and that's that route will not necessarily change because that's just what it is. And, and I, and I hope that never changes because that actually would be sad for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but on a, on a production music level, if you will, yeah. Look, even the even the high high end films, they have a lot of licensing requirements. Um, oh yeah. There there are things there are simply cues and song placement that a composer simply cannot write or don't have the time to write. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and there's usually the music editor and the music supervisor who are, you know, trying to support the composer on the side. Um, and there are just cues that it's just not going to happen. Either the composer has a whole army of team on his side that can do the what's called quote unquote additional music, mm-hmm. or a synth programmer, which is we know that's a dark web, that dark road to go down right. sometimes. But so I, we don't talk about that. But the, either that's <laughs> available to that composer, or um, the music supervisors on the project are actively looking to try to see how they can support the composer on the gaps and the holes that are within the film so but again also want to acknowledge what Dirk said the 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 level of content that's out there right now in this country is absolutely mind-blowing it is just an indic just an indication of what's happening right now facebook instagram uh facebook snapchat and youtube and apple are the four new production companies that have come up Facebook is now producing films and TV content. YouTube, as you know, Apple is putting in Disney, Disney Plus money. is launching. Yeah. Disney Disney Plus is launching. Uh, there's absolutely, I mean, coming from the UK and just being restricted to ITV or Channel 4 and BBC One, like being sick <laughs> of the, being, being absolutely sick of the British TV. Like, 
I was like, if I, I always said this to my to my mom and to my friends, I was like, if Americans don't make movies, we are absolutely stuck. Yeah. Um, honestly, like the amount of content that's coming out in this country is mind blowing. Uh, which is, by the way, I'm not complaining about it. Good. I want this to continue forever. This is the this is the golden age of streaming and content creation. Back in 1920 and 40s or whatever it was, it was the golden age of studio films. That was 500 movies a year, and and now a studio makes well maybe eight films a year, mm-hmm. maybe ten, um, and now top players like Netflix and Amazon are saying, you know what? We're gonna change the rules. We're gonna take every script and every project that's good, and we're gonna because we believe people watch it. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that, so I, I think that that's what I meant in the beginning. That also the the consumption has absolutely changed. I mean, how often do you find yourself now binge watching something that just grabbed your interest, and, and suddenly you realize, oh, it's three a.m. But I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I'm I'm yep. I'm five shows in, you know, and the season is nearly done, and uh, I need to get the last one to know how it ends. And so, so the yeah. the way we consume. The media has changed, and obviously, uh, I remember the times when you went back from when I was younger, when I came back from school, and knew that okay, the next Star Trek is on, mm-hmm. Star Trek: Next Generation or something, and that was just once a week, you know. Right. And you were stuck. To, uh, you were stuck to that, and at least you were busy with that for for half a year or even for a whole year. Now. You, you do it in a day, and then you're craving for more. So, so more, the yeah. way. So the way we consume has changed, and that's why there's so much demand for new content. And that justifies, obviously, having more and more music in these kind of productions. But but it's interesting that you say that, because just last night, or this morning, I think, I read that Netflix is actually considering starting to throttle some of their original series so that when it releases, you're not getting the entire series and then just binge-watching it, blowing up their servers and being done in a day or two. They're actually going to kind of go back to the, that old television format where you had to wait. You had to build that anticipation because I'll tell you what, yeah. like I'm a big fan of Stranger Things. Right. And mm. I waited a year and a half for the series to come out. And then it was eight episodes and I was done in a day. And well, then what? Yeah, I'm waiting another year, year and a half. There's there's no there's no it, it almost seems like we've lost the payoff of of the the, the season finale. It's it's yeah. you know even even Netflix can't keep up with it. Um, you know it that's the thing is is but it's called I mean it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It is we are li- we live in a world of Uber Eats and Postmates, right? We want yeah. it when we want it. Um, and and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's the question comes: Can there be good productions and can there be enough? I mean, yeah, but other other I feel like overall it's a good thing that there's like more content coming out obviously they're gonna have to figure out how they can balance it you know right right but and they have done a great job with some shows that are really big hits people really like the content that they're putting out and the great thing Mm. about these independent channels that are doing it is they don't have to fit the hollywood formula not everything Mm. has to end in a neat little package with everybody happy and it all working out i mean they can really go in any direction they want Whereas Hollywood still seems to think that people have to have the happy ending every single time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I want to add one other thing going back to the studio films is the one of the big differences, too, between this kind of content and the studio films is that they have a, a different luxury of time. 
where mm-hmm. because those films are so massive, they might film on several different continents and their pre-production might be six months before they even start casting. Yeah. You know, yeah. they have the ability to hire a composer who can sit down and work with the director where so many of these things are done in such a speedy fashion that they really don't have that luxury. So apart from, you know, yes. the the type of content, they just have mm. a completely different ability. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and you know what? We here is where I would tell you how Docus can make a difference is that you know, if you don't have the time and if you're moving on that rapid, crazy speed of TV and what have you, that you don't actually have the time to even pick up a phone to your composer, then at least don't compromise on the quality of the music. You know, we we would we would like DocuScore. We, we always have the intention to make sure DocuScore has the same quality as it would have on a big, big uh a studio movie, you know, the, the, sure. the quality, both on a compositional level and on a, a quality level. We want DocuScores to be competing in that technical level. And, and more obviously, there is a certain emotional element happens when you watch a movie and you hear the music from the very first frame to the end. That's the emotional journey that you're going through. But if you're a filmmaker, a, a, a TV movie or a pilot or whatever you're working on, and you don't have the time, to necessarily hire a composer, that's sad for me. But hey, don't don't cut back on the quality of the music. You yeah. know, take some time and research a catalog that can potentially give you that same quality as it would as 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 if you hired a real a, a dedicated composer for your project. That's what we would say. And that's really yeah. what you're creating without having that luxury is the ability to put together a full score that's going to be consistent, that's going to be thematic without having the ability to hire somebody because you can tell especially an independent film you can really tell when somebody just licensed a bunch of random music and stuck it in their film and the score has no cohesive quality to it the eqs are different from song to song the styles are different the instrumentation has no relation it's just it's it's like the calico of film scores yep and and that that kills me you know that destroys my soul but you know it is what it is you know it's uh, i we we just try to do better there. Yeah. 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 Well, you are yeah. though, because you're offering somebody the ability to create something that's cohesive within the framework of what you've got and then giving them the options to write additional music as opposed to just, okay, well, I got this piece from this guy and that piece from that guy. You're giving them a much better option. Right. Yes. Right. And with DocuScore's custom, we would like to actually kind of put it publicly out there that we actually want to be available to filmmakers. We want to kind of support them. We don't want DocuScore to be looked at. Uh, it's a really good production music catalog. Yes, we are a really good game, but we also want to extend our support to say that if there is something we can do within this formula, we would love to support you. Like, right. Give us an indication of what it is that you're working on. And if you don't have the time or whatever, if you're too scared to even work with the composer on it because people don't when it comes to music club people are very sensitive people mm-hmm. you know mo- one of the first things that the filmmaker tells me well i don't know how to describe it but if i hear it i know it's right that's the <laughs> that's the yeah that's the number one thing that i always hear from the filmmaker is that they come to my studio they're very they're petrified of the idea of speaking about music because they don't know how to describe it but as soon as i play it for them they're like that's what is it, or that is it that's it
it's a description of the music that gets the filmmakers. And I always tell filmmakers, look, I write music, but I'm not in the music industry. I'm in the film industry mm-hmm. who just happen to understand more about the music side. So yeah. um, extremely crucial to make sure that filmmakers get a sense that DocuScores actually would like to support filmmakers either on that level. So, yeah, and I think I think that the best way to describe if I'm understanding all this correctly, and I really hope I am, is that it's not a, a music library. It's an interactive music system. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I tried to uh, with a couple of films that I worked on. I said to the directors, I said, let's not talk about styles of music. Let's not talk about instruments. Let's go through the film and just tell me what emotions you want. Tell exactly. me what I should be feeling. Because you can you can always, you know, change instruments in and out, you know, in, in the pre-production side of it. Of course, once you've recorded, that's a little different. But if you're not hitting the emotions, none of the other stuff matters. Yes. Absolutely. And I think, Absolutely. honestly, I think those were some of the better scores that I was able to turn out because we had the right conversation instead of, you know, a director would say to me like, well, I really like hard uh, punk music. That's great. Let's talk about your film. Yeah. yeah let's <laughs> talk about your film uh, or, or, or a classic example of this is, this will, this will guarantee to make you laugh. It's which is a filmmaker comes with a, a, a absolutely super tiny, tiniest budget movie. And the film does not look anywhere near Batman Begins, and they put the Dark Knight or Batman Begins soundtrack on top of it as a temp music. And I'm like, I'm like, your film cannot take that as a as a music. Like it just does not fit. Yeah. I know you're you're obsessed with that synth line on the Dark Knight Rises or Batman Begins, but that just does not not right for you yeah. or for your film. So it's a classic. Uh, like, how much was the budget for the film? <laughs> okay, that. How much yeah. was the budget for the music for that film that using a temp music as a, as a temp score? Oh, okay. Let, let's just, uh, it's, it's important to be realistic about it when it comes to music. Yeah. And how many times have you heard the the classic? Uh, well, I basically, I really want something that sounds like Hans Zimmer. Yes. And, and you know, and that happens a lot. Oh, you remember when the movie so, uh, Social Network, what was that Facebook movie that came out? Oh, yeah. Social Networking, um, I think. Yeah. Every single movie that I got after that was tempted by social by by that movie. Or, <laughs> you know, there will be blood by Johnny Greenwood. Every single movie that I got after that film was tempted by Johnny Greenwood's movie for There Will Be Blood or the Facebook thing. Yeah, and I was like, it's a great score. They've done a phenomenal job, but it was written for a different picture, different tone, different story. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's 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 a little bit of an adjustment sometimes with. Um, and I always tell them, you know, it's like you're the filmmaker, you have the vision, but you you hire me as a composer for a reason. And and same with the docu scores, we definitely want to have a a, a, a a sort of like an extension of docu scores where we actually work with the filmmakers, right? And kind of create give them a package that's right for their film. So yeah. we definitely yeah. have that as an idea, and a plan is to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the end, it comes down to do you chase the trends and want to just be what is hip or do you chase the core of the message or the actual emotion that you want to convey? Right. And that's where we step in because we focus more on the uh, emotion and music side instead of having the latest hybrid tension, whatever kind of stuff available. We really right. focus on, on the music as the music itself and yeah. having ha- having a meaning, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. 
Well, and I think that's what's going to make it so accessible to to the directors and accessible to the audience as they watch it with the film. But I'll mm. I'll tell you a quick story. Early on in my uh, film composing career, I had just read um, the Emerging Film Composer by Richard Bellis, and this mm. was kind of you know it was really the only thing that kind of started as you're going into film composition, everything else was, well, once you're in Hollywood, this is what you do. So this was a great book because it gave you an idea of how to enter that world and how you should build and get there. And he said that, you know, it's okay to work for free, but you should try to at least get something out of it. Get at least, you know, enough money to buy your next library or a bag of coffee or just something, get used to asking yeah. for money, you know, and, and yep. not sell yourself as, as a free composer. And so the f- very first contract that I had to negotiate after I read that book, when we were going back and forth over it, the filmmaker, now this is a, a basically a no budget film. And mm. she wanted to require in my contract that I am responsible for paying for a full orchestra recording if that is what the filmmaker decides they want. Oh, my God. Yeah. Now, film orchestra is what, like 10,000 an hour. And yep. you're going to need at least four or five hours. So, no, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I would just kindly uh, get the security in the building. Please escort this lady out. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. No, or or um, I don't know what I would have done. But uh, no, it's it's classic. It's um yeah, you, I I own that book. I know exactly the book you're talking about. And mm-hmm. Richard is a, a true ambassador to the industry. Richard uh, is uh, yeah. one of you know. Obviously, he, we know Richard Roth loves the. I mean, run for many years. Run the ASCAP uh, composers workshop and yeah. fantastic, fantastic man. He's a true ambassador, and the things that he wrote in that book is very true. Um, and like uh, every composer, I mean, I kind of. Uh, relate to a lot of that those story in a sense you know i would both derek and i would both have to move from a different country to come to to, to the u.s right yeah so there was a lot of uh, uh financial and emotional challenge behind of that so and surviving as a composer in this town Ugh. and it's it, it's 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 a whole different story you know it's um, hard enough if you grew up there let alone relocating right. your entire life to be in that right. hollywood area and Right. You know, I, I have to say to both of you, honestly, like really big congratulations on that, too, because that has got to be as a composer, probably the most difficult thing that you can do is move from where you have your safety, your life built and say, I'm going to make it. I'm going to move to Hollywood. I'm going to move to the L.A. area and I'm going to be a successful composer because so few people ever can sustain themselves on music without working, you know, two or three other jobs and trying to squeeze music in. But you guys did it, both of you. Well, at least I can take off the part of moving you. (laughs) The part of being successful, (laughs) still working on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, from what I've seen, you've done well. And, uh, you know, I, I, I want to also touch, uh, really quickly on, uh, Dirk's album, uh, elements, because I absolutely love, love this album. It is it's such a so rich much. and full sounding album. And when I think about the kind of stuff that I would imagine that you two are writing for the library, I have to think that it's it's that same really, you know, passionate, just emotion from beginning to end kind of stuff. And, you know, you Dirk, you got some great performers on there. Um, what when you look back on that project, do you feel that it was something that 
you're really proud of? Or do you look at it as, okay, that's where I was, what's next? Um, no, it definitely is something special still today to me. That album was, uh, I, I'm grateful that uh, my publisher back then gave me the opportunity when I asked him. That was the time though where I was still pretty uh, busy in the trailer business and wrote a lot of trailer music. And, and I kind of got a little bit sick and tired of it mm -hmm. uh, because of the formulaic approach uh, that trailer music in and of itself has. And uh, I asked him for the freedom mm -hmm. to write just for the sake of writing music and just for, for kind of not working around formulas or builds or act three, act two, etc. Mm -hmm. But just right for the sake of the music and for the sake of the emotion and uh yes thankful enough he he said yeah just go for it uh i, I give you what you need to to get the performance on board uh and i'm truly grateful for all the performers that were on this album uh no one to mention specifically it's younger ball has done amazing Moretta assaulted uh all the All the singers on the album have done a fantastic job and it was sh such a great experience to work with them and to, to go back and forth and work on the cues. And yeah, I can only say I'm, I'm really proud still today. So it's not really like, like what's next. It's rather the question. Okay. When you've done something like this that you're really happy with and that you're proud of, the next project is actually going to be the tough one. <laughs> yeah. No, that's very true because you don't want to think about how can I equal or better what I did. You want to just go back to that organic feeling. Where am I at right well, now? And what am I feeling? And what do I want to write? Yeah. And, yeah. and, and DocuScore's obviously, uh, one of the main reasons to set this up was obviously for, for, for me and also for Ram to write ourselves for it. But we knew from the get go that we, won't be able to handle that amount of music on our own. So, so sure. we build a team of people, but, but still it's, it's like a little challenge between the two of us who, who, who can write more and we kind of push yeah. each other, uh, to, to keep going and keep writing. I'm ahead right now. <laughs> <laughs> had, had to slip that in there at 803. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder why. Right. So, but, 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 but anyway, the thing is that, uh, the true spirit behind it is to, to have fun writing music and, and to, to write something that you feel has a meaning. And, and, and no, oh, sorry, my dog is just going crazy. Um, so, so, um, yeah, that's one of the most important aspects of, of the whole DocuScores catalog to, to, you know, have that emotion in there but it's uh elements back then was a different beast i have to be honest about that so oh, i took sure. way more time time to to develop that and to work on that um but it's a beautiful album that's it, it a beautiful is. yeah that's i listened to i remember driving to san francisco and i was driving to vegas a, a couple of months ago and i i totally listened to elements I like four or five times on my Spotify and I took a screenshot and sent it to Derek. I was like, I've listened like probably like five times or six times and we were laughing. I was like, this album is just absolutely awesome album. I it love is, yeah. the sound. Thanks so much, cool. guys. I appreciate it. Can we move on now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I do want to ask uh, one question about trailers because I honestly have no idea what the answer is to this. Um, but I find it interesting I, when the island came out, uh, the uh, score that Steve Jablonski did, which was uh, mm. a, a, is heavily a fa another favorite score of mine. I noticed that a lot of the movie trailers that came out within a couple of years of that used the music from the island. 
as opposed to, mm. you know, that that typical uh, trailer sound. Do you have any insight as to why they would use music from one movie to promote another movie? Um, that's, a, a tough, that's a tough question, but I would mostly say that's the same thing we were talking about earlier, like chasing trends. I mean, when, when Inception came out and uh, not even Hans himself, but the trailer, com- I don't know who the trailer composer, I forgot the name. Who did the trailer it was, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I forgot his name. It was at RCP though, I believe. It's in the back of my head, the name. But anyway, he kind of invented this Brahms sound for the trailer. And from that moment on, Till today, you can pretty much say every trailer needs a Brahm at some point mm-hmm. or another. Uh, so, so, and and back I, then with a with that island score, I think it was mm-hmm. just chasing the trend and what was just very well received at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think and that's Scott, that's Scott, my I have, a, I have a take on that, um, and and I mainly say this because I you know I work closer in a sense with the filmmakers and hear their thoughts about the music mm-hmm. you know we underestimate how 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 much uh addiction and sort of like a, there is to a music and for, i would say to you why was the the answer to that question why would the trailer of a new movie use a trailer soundtrack of another movie Probably because either the editor or the filmmaker or, or whoever was making the decision for the trailer was really emotionally attached to that piece of music. And I mean, yeah, I for mean, Templar. <laughs> yeah, for Templar. I mean, I mean, look, Scott, you know, you're 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 a film composer. You understand. I deal with it on a week to week basis, trying to uh, either fight or educate the filmmaker about why attempt music is dangerous. Yes. Um, and 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 pioneers like. Alexander Desplat and and Danny Elfman and James Newton Howard and Thomas Newman and these people who are on top of their game are every single day have to try to educate the filmmaker that a temp music is there's a reason why a temp music is called temp music because it's meant to be a temporary music right um so and and an addiction or or a, a temp love is a big problem and but but again if a an island score worked for a trailer and the, the decision makers were pushing for it. Great stuff. I'm sure Jablonski loved it. Um, I would hope, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, but, but for me, I guess it's more like, but this music is associated to a different film already as opposed to like just licensing a song to put in, in the trailer. Uh, I, I could understand that more, but this is music that's already associated with film. So if they, it may be not, you know, yeah. a, a film that's as well known as say like Halloween or, or something where mm-hmm. they use the Halloween music, then that's really weird to put in a non Halloween film. Yeah, that, that's but right. You, but, on the, but, but on the other hand, you, you see that every now and then with every like either successful film or especially successful score that a mm-hmm. lot of that, reflects like like one two three months later in the trailer music world when i look back at interstellar when hans did the stuff with with the big organ and stuff like that mm-hmm. it was not not even six weeks later that all the tra- the new trailer sounds had this big organ sound <laughs> within them true, yeah yeah, yeah. space feel uh, so, so it's it's always like when when someone of the of the big guys sets mm-hmm. trends, other people follow these trends. It's just like it is because that's the perception that the 
majority of the audience is kind of attached to that specific sound. Mm. And I think the, the reasoning behind it or the main intention behind that is to uh, draw people into the product. And if that certain sound is, uh, yeah, broadly accepted, I think that's the main reason to, to go with a don't change anything that works, you know? Yeah. And, and that's the thing is you yep. want to follow the successful formula, right? Instead of inventing something yourself and try and get people to attach to it, you ride the coattails of what's already trending. I think we always want to invent something ourselves that someone else is following. But uh, I think that everybody wants to do that's the crooks with this thing. I mean, how often does it happen that you're the trend setter instead of the trend follower? Well, it's it's that business mind versus the artist mind. Yeah, but right. It's it's a yeah. tough thing. Yeah. I'm curious, was that was that was that I'm curious from the from the political point of view, was that the same studio who were using a soundtrack from the it's a good point to find out. It's like yeah. the island was from I don't I don't remember what was it Paramount? I can't remember was it Fox, but I wonder if the music rights came to it. Like for example, if Island was with I don't know, Fox, let's say, for, mm-hmm. for the sake of argument. And this new movie that you're talking about was using the Iron Santa and also was Fox. Then there is a good amount of doubt that, oh, it, it was probably came down to the music rights and whether or not they wanted to spend some money on it. I don't know. I'm just guessing. Um, but that could have an impact on it too. But the point that Derek also mentioned is a really good point, you know, but. Who knows what went behind that thinking, right? Yeah. No, that's that's a good argument, though, because a lot of people don't know that when it comes to a film, uh, anything that's produced by a studio, this the composer does not own the rights. In fact, a lot of times right. they don't even have a say so in what happens to that music after they've they've completed it. Uh, this this absolutely owns true. It. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So if the oh, so if the studio owned a, a soundtrack for Island, and the same studio a year later wanted to do a trailer for their new film. And especially, Scott, if they were doing it internally, in a sense that the editors that are in-house, in-studio, would have cut the trailer, then guess what? The editors would be restricted saying, you're only allowed to use this music and not outside the house because we only have this set of music. So it 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 would have come down to their music budget, the restriction of what they can use or what have you. And possibly uh, 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 that love to that island score, which I think Steve Jablonski, by the way, did a phenomenal job uh, on that score. So I just I just wanted to add to that that I still think that this is rather the exception than uh, the regular case. So usually yes, yes. when when the movie campaign is made, they are chasing that new sound that something that hasn't been there yet that's why the trailer music industry is so extremely competitive and so focused on trying to set trends and be a trailblazer mm-hmm. uh with that new sound and uh it's it's highly competitive and and highly uh on the other hand highly rewarding of course but uh Especially with we talked about that earlier, what's at stake with a two hundred million dollar movie? So where you where the trailer makes or breaks the film, uh, it's so crucial that either the trailer has its own sonic identity or they find something that just absolutely works. 
I mean, we have all seen examples in the past where this didn't work out, and we have seen a lot of past examples where it worked exceptionally well. Mm -hmm. But still, I think that taking music from another movie for a trailer is really the exception instead of a regular case. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I just, I've always wondered that. And I thought, well, I've got kind of some experts on the subject. So I figured if I was ever going to ask that question, now would be the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Hope you're I, happy with the answer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, that does make a lot of sense. And I hadn't even thought about the rights issue too. I, that should have been the first thing that popped into my head. Uh, because, you know, obviously that's a, a world that, uh, we live in quite heavily, all of us. Uh, but yeah. you know, I, I have really enjoyed talking to you guys. I really am so excited about what you've created here. I can't wait until, uh, you know, it, it just continues to grow and more people get attached to it and start using this because I really think that this is going to be a, a very solid thing. And I think that the uh, if you're going to have music in your film that doesn't have a composer, I think having somebody that's, you know, that adaptable to do what you guys are doing is really going to be the key to making films work going forward. So wait, way to create something amazing. Thanks Thank so, much. You so much. Absolutely. That's very kind of you, Scott. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, Dirk, you know, we've had lunch here in Vegas. So when you and Doreen come back, we'll have to uh, connect again when you guys come up for air. And uh, and Ram, next time you come back, let me know. I wish I'd have known you two months ago. Yeah, well, I, I, I yeah, absolutely. I there is a I just worked on a project that's uh, it's an exhibition in uh, MGM Hotel. So I came a couple of times. But next time I'm coming, I definitely hit you up for lunch. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you guys want to let our listeners know? Well, if you're a filmmaker, just head over. If you wonder how the whole process works, there is uh, pretty much just a login button and you request access and then you can access the catalog and we can talk about the details. Uh, if you just want to listen, go ahead, go forward. The website is open to the public so you can listen to the music and hopefully enjoy a little bit of it. And if you ever need music for projects, we are there to help. Very cool. Ram exactly what Dirk said. <laughs> exactly what exactly what Dirk said. You know, just go into docu-scores.com and you can hear the music. And if there's anything that we can do to uh, help the listeners, we'd love to uh, um, hear from them and, and stay in touch. I think that's really the key to to what uh, a filmmaker should keep in mind because you know, just out of curiosity, I've gone and looked at different uh, you know library sites. And they're really kind of, here's what I've got. Here's what I've got. Here's what it is. There's not contact information. There's just the licensing information, not even an email on a lot of them. And the thing to remember about DocuScores is that it is interactive, that you can reach out and talk. And let's let's put something together together. There's Absolutely. people behind it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I wish you guys the absolute best of luck. I, I'm very anxious to see this grow and grow and grow. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Hopefully we'll speak to you once we're like, I don't know, have a, a big news to share or uh, or 20 more albums released. Yeah, <laughs> do it. Well, you know, I mean, you guys are definitely welcome to come on the show anytime you want. And, uh, you know, you. obviously stay in touch and uh, just just keep keep that in mind. I would say the biggest thing, the biggest advice I would give to any artist, but especially someone that's doing what you're doing because it's such at times you're doing so much. It might feel like production from time to time. Just keep mm. that. What we talked about in mind, the whole emotion, if you're not feeling it, it's not right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Great words. 
Thank you. Well done, guys. Take care and uh, have a great night. Thanks, Scott. Thank Thanks you so much. Okay, you too. Thank have a great you. evening. Bye-bye. Bye. It's a really fine line for me, the difference between me expecting someone to actually hire you to score their project directly to your visual, to your mood, versus going and finding something that works. Fortunately, these guys are kind of the new wave. They're the bridge between uh, the two things. And I think that you'll be able to find some great stuff that they've created. You've heard the samples along the way. Check it out, check them out. Uh, And they're great, they're just great guys. So uh, this may be the new future of composing. We shall see. Thank you guys for joining me for a special weekend edition of the Haskin Cast podcast. Very happy to have you along with me. Thank you to Dirk and Ram for taking some time out of their hectic schedule to join us. Have a great day, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.